0: You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Allison. And this week, we have a special guest, Jeremy Oguski, founder of Boston Ferments and Oguski Ceramics. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're just actually going to just jump right in because you seem to have so much connection with fermentation. So we pretty much have two topics for today, both fermentation crocks and a collective of fermenting enthusiasts. So I guess let's start with just Boston Ferments, what inspired you to start Boston Ferments, and what is it? Mm.
1: So Boston Ferments is basically a collection of fermenting enthusiasts here in Boston. We're kind of a loose collection, and we're we're becoming more cohesive, and we run a number of different uh, fermentation-related activities here in Boston. Um, it started last summer, summer of 2013, where I... Uh, approached two friends of mine, one who is a nutritionist and acupuncturist, and another who's a who runs a farmers market. And I said, you know, like fermentation is really having a moment, and I'm fermenting a lot. I know they, my friends, were fermenting. I said, let's pull together all the fermenters we know and have a festival, and uh, we really. On a shoestring, and in a few months, we organized the first Boston Fermentation Festival, which was uh, the fall of 2013. And over a thousand people came, it was a huge success. And we were surprised, and we thought, Well, that's you know, maybe we should do something a little bit more permanent now. So it's grown organically into Boston Ferments.
0: So that okay, so the festival started, I would have thought the other way around, like kind of growing from there. But so you had a big Turnout, and then now you're doing all kinds of events, though, aren't you?
1: That's right. That's right. So yeah, it was it was just this. Originally, it was just this summit, you know, of of fermentos, essentially, and it it was really great because you know, it was like a conference, all these people connected. And then we had all these great people that said, let's, you know, let's do more stuff. This was really great. You know, we had workshops, we had a speaker series, we had a lot of different vendors and exhibitors come and sell and sample their food. And so then all of a sudden we had this great network of New England fermenters really. And we got a lot of ideas on, you know, what can happen now. And so now for the past year, um we've been doing a lot of really cool things like fermentation themed dinners so we've done a number of dinners where like very fancy five course prefix meals um by really stellar chefs that are excited about showing off their fermentation chops. And we've done some really kind of low key dinners where um, they've, there's been, you know, maybe one or two things on the menu that's fermented. And then I've, or someone else has taught a fermentation workshop um, after the dinner. Um, So we do dinners and food related things. Um, We've done some workshops. Um, Actually this Saturday I'm doing, I'm I'm organizing a farmer's market tour and a fermentation one-on-one workshop. So we do stuff like that. Um, we do a lot of kraut mobs, which is, um, we can talk a little bit more about that, but it's just a great way for people on the street to learn about sauerkraut in a low-pressure environment and just expose new people to fermentation. Um, and we're organizing, again, another fermentation festival for this September. So it's grown into a, a more diverse uh, you know, group of activities.
2: Yeah. That sounds really cool. And I mean, for having starting organically last summer with some friends and then all of a sudden having a festival, I, that sounds like you've made a lot of progress in the last year. And it seems like you have all of these events all the time and it looks like you just had a fermentation on wheels event last That's right, yeah. uh, about a, about a month ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tara, Tara came by and she came through Boston. And so she spoke at my community garden, um, which was pretty cool brought out some gardeners and some folks that were interested in, in fermentation. Yes, we've connected with other groups that are already out there. And you know, the really cool thing about fermentation is that it it's like a cross section of all these different people. So there's people like Tara that are doing interesting art projects and food related stuff. But there's also a lot of health people, you know, doctors and nutritionists and people that are interested in all different kinds of things related to, you know, health and our body that are interested in fermentation. And then there's like farmers, you know, that are really interested in fermentation and preservationists and urban homesteaders and sort of the DIY crowd. So like a really great cross section of people that when you say fermentation, it sort of piques their interest. And that's what's really been cool is you know, using fermentation as a way to pull in these diverse groups of people. Like at our fermentation festival, we had um, some microbiologists, Wolf and Rachel Rachel Dutton from Harvard, come and talk about fermentation and microbes and cheese. And it was like a high level, you know, microbiology talk. But then we also had some like home fermenters talking about, you know, what kind of problems do you often get when you're making sauerkraut? And there, all the talks were well attended because... People are interested in all these different topics related to fermentation.
0: Well, where do you fit into the whole thing? Where did you, how did you get into it yourself? Was it the the festival that really got you into it? Was it your pottery or how did you start fermenting food yourself?
1: Um, people ask me that all the time. I need to craft like a good founder story, <laughs> but um, I think, I mean, I think, um, there is, it is kind of like, the more I think about it, it's kind of, uh, it's a real rich story that I need to, I need to, it needs to, it's still fermenting, I guess, in my brain. But I mean, I grew up really, like truthfully eating fermented food. Um, So all my family's from Eastern Europe. And when I think about my, my grandmother, she made fermented food for me. You know, I, I grew up eating her borscht and pickles. And I didn't know it as fermented food, but I knew it as funky flavors and potent and, you know, sour. And I loved it. And I think it kind of, it stuck with me. Like it it lodged in my taste buds, I guess. Um, And only recently have I intellectually discovered that, wow, you know, those are all fermented tastes that I really love. And those are the tastes that i grew up with and now enjoy eating on my own. And so I started trying you know, I started making it, making fermented foods myself. And, um, I'm a potter by trade. So one of my first you know, moves was to make a, a fermentation crock, um, because those are some, those are really the original, original ways that fermenters, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago when they were preserving food, they would use ceramic crocks. Um, and so I, I made a crock for myself and, um, I started, you know, sort of reworking the design and figuring out what works best for me. And I just started making them for friends and family and giving them away. And, And I started selling them a little bit. Um, and then actually, um, I was, you know, William Sonoma, um, this like giant retailer of, you know, ceramics and all other home goods sent me an email and, you know, they asked me, would you consider making these Crocs for us? And I had never, I had never considered something like that. And, um, But I I figured I would try. And so for the past few years, I've been making them for Williams-Sonoma. And I'm making them by the hundred now. And and so as my ceramics business has grown, my interest in fermentation and learning about fermented food and making it myself has also grown. So they've kind of gone hand in hand.
0: Well, thinking about you coming from just a background of just growing up with fermentation, when you're Mm -hmm. out there talking with other people, when you're doing the festival, when you're doing these workshops – what do you find? Is it a mixed group of people that have also experienced uh, fermentation as they were growing up, where fermentation wasn't a thing; it was just a reality of life and eating, or are most people a few generations divided between those that fermented and those that that never grew up with fermentation? Yeah, I think it's it's a good question.
1: I don't know. I think there's a real mix. You know, some people are are, are very exposed to it. And it's, you know, when I, when I talk about sauerkraut or pickles or something they you know, that's like something that's second nature to them. Um, but then there are a lot of people that, uh, don't, there's a full range. There's a lot of people that don't know about it. Um, they just maybe know the tastes. Um, and then there's a lot of people that are uh, actually kind of afraid or they're intimidated by fermentation because they think about, you know, some. Food, food being left out and rotting, and and mic you know microbes and um, growth of microbes essentially, and that scares them. You know that's what we've been taught essentially. It is to sterilize, uh, you know, our environment and our food, and so a lot of people are kind of intimidated by it. Um, so I think it's a real cross section. I think it's kind of cool. We're having a moment now where, I, I, at least in Boston, I can speak you know, speak to like in my community, a lot of people are really interested in preserving their own food, growing their own food. You know, Boston recently passed um legislation allowing chickens uh, raising in your backyard. So there's more urban homesteading in Boston, which is pretty cool. Um and so I think people are becoming more interested in it, interested in fermentation from um a health standpoint, but also from a, just a, you know, DIY, like urban homesteading sort of approach. Like they want to, people want to learn how to do things themselves. And, you know, fermentation is a, is a, it's, it's sort of, is that nice, it's like that nice middle ground in the Venn, Venn diagram between urban homesteaders and DIY folks, the health crowd, and then foodies. You know, a lot of foodies and chefs are recognizing that ferment, you get like super interesting and unique flavor profiles from live fermented food. Um, and they're experimenting in their basements underneath their restaurants and doing all kinds of really interesting stuff. They might not know or care about the health benefits of fermentation, but they know that the tastes are pretty awesome. So, you know, that's what their diners want.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool. And you had briefly mentioned this, and maybe this is a good time to um, bring this up again, but can you explain the Kraut Mob and what that all entails? What has been the reaction that you've gotten from people about the Kraut Mob and from what it sounds like it's when you go up and ask people or talk to people about fermentation?
1: Yeah, it's actually been really great. So I have to give credit to um, Austin over at um, the Fermenters Club. Um, in San Diego. He was the one who branded at least the idea of a crowd mob. And I saw something on social media about a crowd mob from him. And I said, oh, that's such a great name. Let me do this. And and he was totally open source about it. He said, yeah, this is sort of what I've been thinking. And then Boston Ferments, we really run with it. So from the very first time we did it, actually, it was really successful. I mean, we figured out how, how to make it better but it's just a a low pressure way for people on the street to learn about fermentation and making sauerkraut. So, you know, it's kind of, it got a catchy name because, um, you know, people like, they're like, oh, kraut mob, like, what's that all about? And it's, it's true. It kind of becomes a mob mentality. So basically I I, uh, organize a few mobsters, which are just semi experienced fermenters, people that know a little bit about sauerkraut and fermenting and we we go uh, to a f- we 've gone to food festivals we 've gone to farmers' markets, different events where people already are. And usually we'll buy like between 50 and 80 pounds of vegetables, which is a lot of vegetables actually. So we'll have like a giant pile of cabbage and it's visually, it's pretty stunning, you know, and you see like 30 cabbages all piled up and lots of jars and we get some carrots and different things. And we just invite people to come and learn about fermentation. And so we'll have, you know, jars, ball jars and knives and chopping boards. We just, sort of walk people through, like, what is, how do you make sauerkraut? And it's really great because, you know, making sauerkraut, it, sauerkraut is, you know, the great gateway drug to fermentation. It's super easy to do. And it's, it's really non-intimidating and it's kind of hard to screw up. And a lot of people know sauerkraut, you know, whether they know the taste or maybe they've made it themselves, or maybe they have memories of like, you know, like you guys were asking before, maybe their grandparents made it or their parents, Um, and so we'll start teaching people and and people kind of come over and they see people with knives chopping up cabbage and salting it and massaging it, which is always really exciting. Um, and so the mobsters will end up teaching a few people and after a while they end up stepping back and the participants end up teaching each other and it becomes this really cool community, uh, community of people basically where, you know, you can just step back and, and everyone, cause it's pretty easy, you know, people teach new people that are coming in and then they start sharing stories about, you know, maybe the fermented food that their you know, parents cooked for them or how there was this, they have this memory of something and it kind of becomes a cool uh, intergenerational often
0: learning experience. So it's really fun. That sounds wonderful. And it just makes me wonder since you you kind of got the idea from from Austin and then you know, you're doing it successfully, is it difficult to uh, the logistics of it for like, say someone is like, I'm listening to you talk about this right now and I want to do a crowd mob in my area? Like, <laughs> yeah. is there a lot that people need to consider or just going through a normal organizing any kind of street event, like yeah. just go through normal, whatever city regulations someone has?
1: Yeah. It's a good question. Um, we should, we should definitely franchise the model. <laughs> definitely. I, I, I'm open source about it. I mean, I would be more than happy. Anyone send, you know, send, send an email to bostonferments at com, and we'll write, you know, we'll write down like, how does a crowd mob happen? What are the logistics? But, you know, it can be as complex or as simple as possible. We're pretty simple about it. You know, we just bring some cutting boards and some cutting, you know, some in it. We always have jars and vegetables. And, you know, you could do it. We've done it out in farmers markets, out on a blacktop. You can do it out in a field, at a farm. It could be, you know, as simple or as, you know, complex as it as it really needs to be. We haven't, um, luckily, I, I don't know if we've been under the radar or maybe we're breaking some, breaking some rules, um, but we haven't had to deal with any um, legal or, um, yeah, sort of just like, legal issues, you know, the liability that hasn't come up as of yet, but we probably should think about that down the road. (laughs) But I like the idea of a franchise model because it's, it's something that just, you know, that's what's cool about fermentation. It's, I mean, what, for me, what is so fabulous about it is uh, many people have connections to it in, in different ways. And it's a great way to really build community and open up a dialogue about much larger issues beyond just, you know, fermentation itself.
0: I really like the idea, too, just because, yeah, like everything you're talking about, getting people involved. And I really like that stepping back part about like letting the attendees really do it because they can and they just – need a little, little inspiration to get started. And then that's all it takes. And so that's why I love that. And so I think everyone, yeah, everyone should do a crop mop if you're listening to this.
2: Well, it just sounds like fun. If you just start walking down in your farmer's market or wherever you are, and then all of a sudden you see a whole bunch of people chopping up cabbage. And of, of course, like I would definitely go up and try to see what was happening. Like there's a huge crowd of people and they're making sauerkraut. I would join in and check it out if I didn't know anything about fermentation. So I think that's a great idea. I've never thought about, doing something like that. That's an innovative way of spreading the word and making it really accessible to people.
0: So with all of these uh, these things uh, fermenting in, in jars and say you make these crocs, do you ferment anything outside of uh, crocs, like anything other than vegetables? Yeah,
1: definitely. I've, I've dabbled in all different kinds of things. I've done um, a lot of dairy fermenting. Um, I've done a little bit of grain fermenting. I've done a little bit of alcohol fermenting. Uh, some
0: fruit. That might,
1: that might be about it.
0: <laughs> well, that, that that pretty much covers it. So, um, do you, <laughs> do you lean towards any one kind of ferment?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've tried some more complicated things. Like I, for me, breads, uh, have been a little bit complicated. Um, I'm not the best baker because I'm not, I don't tend to be very precise. Um, and I feel like with a lot of, with a lot of bread baking, unless you're very good, you need to be, it helps to be precise. So bread hasn't been, hasn't been super successful for me. Um, but some grains have been okay. And the dairy also I've stopped doing because my wife and I actually were a member of a raw milk club for a while and we had tons of raw milk. And so it was a impetus, great impetus to ferment it because, you know, milk is one of the most perishable of all things. And raw milk is so delicious and amazing. So I thought, you know, I got to do something with all this raw milk and I fermented it. But now that we don't have raw milk, Come in anymore. Um, i am slowed down on that. Favorite was really vegetable ferments. Like I kind of come back to the basics often. I really just enjoy a lot of brassicas like cabbage, and I enjoy like some you know like carrot ferments and some simple stuff really. But it works. You know, it works for me, and it's great to teach people with a lot of the basics.
0: Well, and it does definitely fit in excellent with what you do as a, as a profession with your, with your ceramics. And so like, let's, let's lead into that. Let's talk about uh, your ceramics business. And I thought kind of a nice segue into that too, would be your post on your ceramics website about uh, the clay kraut connection. What inspired you to write that post or article?
1: What inspired me to think about it really was um, I was, I spoke at a recent um, local it was a pseudo Ted talk. It was called a seven by seven. So it was seven artists here in Boston that each spoke about their artistic process for seven minutes. And they asked me to, you know, come and talk about my artistic process and I didn't really know what to do, but I thought, you know, maybe I can talk about fermentation and my fermentation crocs. And I've been doing a lot of fermentation demonstrations um, lately. So I gave the fastest fermentation, demonst- you know, sauerkraut making demonstration I had ever done in s- seven minutes. <laughs> and as I gave that demo in front of like a huge um, group of people, um, I talked about, you know, the, the fermentation crocs, my ceramic crocs that I make. And I talked a little bit about um, being a potter um, and also a fermenter and what, you know, where they overlap and you know thinking about that there's actually like a lot of ways they they overlap it's pretty interesting um so for you know fermenter fermentation is the one of the earliest if not the earliest form of preser- preservation and pottery is also a, a very antique i mean like really old craft um one of the you know one of the oldest potentially and i was thinking about you know you know our potters were potters and and ceramics did it Develop because there were fermenters and preservationists looking for something to contain their preserves? Or was it potters that were searching for a, a use for their ceramic vessels? And I'm not quite sure, but I. You know, it's a good, it's kind of an interesting question to think about. And I, I think more likely they, they probably evolved together, potters and fermenters. Um, you know, ceramic clay is a great material to contain fermentation and fermenting food because it's non reactive. Um, it, it keeps the food cool, so it keeps it at a relatively constant temperature. And so it sort of just makes sense, you know, and there's, there's clay all over the world. That's the beautiful thing. There are potters all over the world and the same goes for fermenters, you know, every culture ferments in different ways. And I don't know. I mean, maybe there are anthropologists that have, maybe cultural anthropologists that have studied the history of fermentation and, and ceramics. Um, but, but I, I'd like to sort of just think about it myself. And, and I think it's kind of cool that I, I do a little bit of both. It's connecting me to both of these ancient traditions.
0: Well, that brings up to mind is totally kind of off on uh, with clay and uh, different clays throughout the world. Are there different clays that you will know of that would be better for fermentation vessels versus other things? Or is that pretty much a moot point once you talk about uh, glazes? Mm.
1: No. So there are lots of different clay bodies and I've made a lot of different types of fermentation crocks. So my typical crock is a stoneware crock. It's totally vitrified And that means it's it's non-porous. Um, no liquid can move through the clay, you know, it's totally like impermeable. Um, and that's good because, you know, when you put, you put, uh, vegetables with liquid in it, you want it, you don't want it to (laughs) leach. You don't want a pool of, uh, Juice on your countertop after, and that's you know you want the you want the brine to cover the vegetables so that you have anaerobic fermentation, um, and that's the most typical is a is some kind of stoneware um, that's non porous, but I actually have uh, made a few earthenware crocks for a chef friend of mine um, that's doing interesting fermentation experiments. Um, and he requested a few earthenware crocks, um, that he could make some fish ferments. So, um, earthenware is a low fire clay body that is porous. So a terracotta is a typical, um, earthenware vessel, earthenware clay body, like a terracotta pot. And it's used for containing flowers or pot, you know, plants, because you want, when you pour water into your plant, you don't want that water to just sit in there. You, you want the it, you want the pot to breathe so the excess water can be drain can drain out of the pot so you're not drowning your your you know your uh flowers or your plants. Um and he my friend my friend who's a chef was making this um he was trying to reproduce a traditional garum recipe and garum is fermented fish um sauce from it's called Roman fish sauce from the Roman you know Romans used to do this. Um and they would season all kinds of foods with garam because you know like fish fish like we know it as fish sauce it's super salty it's really potent and it has these delicious you know flavors is very aromatic and it gives that amazing mouth feel you know it's very it has that like umami rich taste and when you have very plain food, you know, which humans have been eating for thousands of years until relatively recently, they had a lot of like mush and simple stuff. <laughs> fermented food is a great way to, to pack a lot of flavor into your relatively ordinary dish. And that's what the Romans did actually. So they would season all kinds of stuff with, with fermented fish, um, garum. And so my friend Jeff, so he's, his name is Jeff Lucas and he's the head chef at a, a local sofra which is a mediterranean restaurant so he's doing all kinds of cool mediterranean ferments and the garum that he made was a new england style garum so he was using locally caught um, fish here in boston from you know local uh, fishermen and he fermented it in a porous earthenware vessel because he wanted it actually to breathe so it drained off a little bit of the juices and he would pack it down and he left it for months. And I tasted the finished product after fermenting it in, in the basement. And he was telling me like the staff at his restaurant were starting to revolt because the, the smell coming from this crock was pretty potent, but the finished product was amazing. I mean, it was really fabulous. It was like a really smooth, delicious, fish sauce. And that was with a, you know, an earthenware vessel. So I'm really interested in using all different kinds of clay bodies and experimenting, you know, but that's, I, I need, I need experts in other areas to, to to give me suggestions and to take the lead on that because I'm just, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a chef. I'm not like a trained uh, food person. I just love to experiment, but I love when people come to me and say, you know, I have this really interesting application for your ceramics. And I love collaborations like that. You know, like when she, when like Jeff came to me and he said, will you make me a earthenware fermentation crock? And since then, I've made him crocks of all different sizes, crocks with plugs in the bottom so he can drain liquid out of the bottom. Um, and I've done all different kinds of stuff. But the, the crock that I make the most and the ones that I sell to Williams-Sonoma and most of my customers, it's a one-gallon, seven-inches by seven-inches Um, stoneware crock. That's great for pickles, great for miso, great for sauerkraut and kimchi and things like that.
0: With a, well, so with an account like William sonoma do you, uh, is that then the main focus of your business at this point? I mean, are you mainly making these crocks or do you have, or or what other kinds of things are you making?
1: Yeah, so I I sell a lot to them. Um, It's a really big um, account for me Um, and it's good. I mean, they distribute my my work all over the country um, and the world actually. Um, But I have figured out ways to make my crocs at scale so I can produce them for them, but I can also sell them direct to customers. And I really love that. Like I really, I love working with William sonoma because it gives me great exposure and gets my handmade work into tons of people's hands that I would never meet. You know, that's just like, they have the capacity, the distribution that I would never have. Um, But I love you know, selling it locally. Like I, I still do a lot of craft shows locally in new England. I sell online, um, through my website and through Etsy and I work with, you know, local businesses. I do a lot of collaborations with local chefs or local restaurants or all different people are coming to me and I love making something funky, you know, that I never thought of applying ceramics to like, there's a, a local, uh, barber shop, um, in my neighborhood, called Razor's Barbershop. And the the owner is, he's awesome. He's become a, a good friend of mine named Anthony. And he does an old style wet shave where he uses the straight razor and he uses a traditional um shaving soap and it's in a ceramic bowl so he like lathers it up and you walk in and it's like pictures of rocky and all italian memorabilia and it's it's like got a great (laughs) vibe to it very old school um it's got the barber barber pole and everything and he wanted handmade shaving mugs you know where you put the soap in it and, and you do the lather and so i made them for his barbershop and he uses those with his customers and then he sells them out of his shop too and you know i didn't know anything like i don't shave i have a big beard (laughs) so i would have never thought to to make these shaving bowls but it was so great that you know he found me on twitter actually and he said we make these and it's it's kind of blossomed into a cool collaboration so i really i love stuff like that because you know ceramics is this really great uh, medium for all different kinds of things and so when people come to me with a new idea it's exciting
0: so is there anywhere else that people can find your pottery um, nationally, I guess, for those that don't live in your, your local area? Or mm, is- yeah. Yeah. I think my
1: website is the best, the best place, um, which is Ogusky Ceramics. Um, so my last name is O-G-U-S-K-Y ceramics.com. And um, I sell stuff on Etsy also, um, but it's mostly locally. You know, I, I really, I really enjoy working with, you know, my neighbors, essentially, in like local businesses. Um, not to say I'm, I'm not interested in working with people in other places, but I'm really, you know, it's, it's similar with fermentation, like it's it's kind of ceramics and fermentation for me is a great catalyst to meet people around me and to do cool collaborative things and learn about my community. So that's that's what I enjoy the most, I would say.
0: Well, for the Boston listeners, is there anywhere that like they should definitely go if they haven't seen your stuff before?
1: Yeah. Um well my friend Dave Becker owns a restaurant called Sweet Basil and it's an Italian restaurant in Needham. And he opened a new restaurant in Wellesley and I, I supply a lot of the dishes for both of his restaurants. And that's a really cool place to go and to uh, see my ceramics and actually eat off them in a restaurant. Awesome. That's always I often uh, tell people to go to go to you know sweet basil.
0: jumping back into just going back to Boston ferments like where can people find out more about Boston ferments
1: best place is the website so it's bostonferments.com. and we have a number of activities where you know we, we do regular workshops we're doing a farmers market tour and fermentation workshop this Saturday and uh, we have a number of crop mobs coming up. And everything is leading up to our fermentation festival, which is September 27th. It's at the Eggleston Farmers Market, so we collaborate with a local farmers market, and we do the festival going to be amazing. I mean, we have a whole speaker series and a demo series. We're going to have kraut mobs. Um, we're going to have a pickle off, and local cheesemakers, local fermenters, and small businesses are going to be selling and sampling a lot out of their food. So great way if you're interested in fermentation to just come and meet, you know, other passionate fermentos in the in the New England area. And Sander Katz is actually going to be headlining the festival. So come in and listen to Sander and meet him. And then the following day we're doing a brunch with Sander um, at a local restaurant called Oleana. Um, my friend Jeff, who I mentioned before, is going to be cooking a, a full fermented meal. And we're going to have it out in the patio, um, a beautiful spot. And it's going to be a real intimate experience where you can have brunch with Sander. And he's going to introduce each of the courses and talk about, you know, the historical sort of importance of the fermented foods. It'll be a, a really uh, unique experience.
2: So is there anything about this fermentation festival that is new besides the brunch with Sander Katz? That you didn't have last year.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of new stuff. So we're bringing in a bunch of different speakers from all walks of life. Um, you know, I just actually spoke today with a physician who's doing research. On she's a physician and a farmer, and she's doing some research on the gut microbiome and studying the different types of microorganisms in the soil and in our gut, in our stomachs, in our intestines, and trying to look at the relationship between the microbiome of both of those environments. And she posits that there's a just, there is a very clear link between the soil and between our guts, and as both of them have become more sterilized and sanitized, you know, it's led to all different kinds of um, health problems, um, and that she sees in her practice as a as a doctor. And so she's going to come and talk about soil health and gut health and how fermentation plays a role in sort of you know, bringing back the microdiversity. So we're going to have a lot of health people coming and talking about nutrition and things like that. But we're also going to have people, you know, talking about and giving demos on uh, how to make tempeh and kombucha and mead. Um, And then we're also going to have a, a pickle off. So we're going to have local pickle experts and Sanders is going to be one of the judges for that, which will be really fun. And then we got a bunch of a bunch of vendors that are coming. So the vendors are going to be really diverse. We'll have some small cheese makers, some hard cider like a hard cider makers, and just really unique. It's a really cool opportunity to give you know give exposure to some new and growing small businesses that are making fermented products.
0: Well, this is really exciting, and I hope that everyone does go there that uh, is in the area or will be in the area during that time. And I, this is kind of like my crop mob question to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. but just really, since you're still fresh enough with having just, this will be your second fermentation festival for those that maybe live in an area that's not Boston. It's not somewhere that already has an established fermentation festival. Mm. What's your like word, parting word of advice to someone that's, uh, how would you inspire someone to start their own, or what should they do if they already are inspired to start their own local fermentation group or festival?
1: I think I think just reaching out to people of of common interests. So you know, like on you know one way that we have connected fermenters is uh, we started a a Facebook group. Here in Boston, called the culture, uh, Boston Culture Sharing Community, and it's basically people that are willing and interested in sharing cultures like kefir grains or sourdough um, and kombucha, and it's just like-minded people that wanna share their passion and love and share their mothers <laughs> their cultures. Um, so I think like connecting with like-minded people is a really great way. You know, if you're really interested in you know the gut microbiome and, and fermentation, then you know maybe there's other i'm sure there are other people wherever in whatever place you are um that are interested in that so i think it's like reaching out to people of similar sort of similar uh interests and that's the cool thing about fermentation you know it's it's like it's a great way to connect with others a great window into other other topics
0: Excellent. Well, thanks for being on the show. Where should people go? I know that they can go to your, your ceramics website. They can go to Boston Ferments, anywhere that they should connect social media wise uh, with, with you online. And-
1: yeah. So my Instagram uh, account or my, my Instagram handle is Boston Potter and I have a lot of fermentation related uh, social media. On there, and then I um, on Pinterest, I'm I'm under my name Jeremy Ogusky, and then you can tweet at me at, at Boston Potter also. So I'd love to talk with people all over about fermentation. You know what other ideas um, people have if they're interested in starting stuff, um, or I love the idea of franchising. <laughs> I think I think they're they're definitely opportunities in other places. And I'm happy to share, you know, whatever we've learned here in Boston with any others. So yeah, you know, tweet at me or whatever. I'm happy to talk.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. And uh, again, all of these will be in the show notes at uh, firmup.com slash podcast slash 75. And you can connect with us on Twitter at firmup on Facebook at firmup and everywhere else at firmup. And until next time, firm up.